safer sex. Intercourse. Condoms. Sexually transmitted infection. HIV. HIV. Sexual health. Treatment. Prevention. Sexual attraction. Sexually transmitted infection. Contraceptive. Sexual health. Hi, I'm Heather, and this is the Sydney Sexual Health Centre podcast. We talk about all things related to sexual health, and since it's October, we're marking Mental Health Month with our own specialist sexual health counselling team. The counselling unit here at Sydney Sexual Health Centre see both individuals and couples. We provide counselling for all sorts of issues and concerns related to sexual health, like helping people change negative behaviours that might be putting them at risk for HIV or an STI, or coping with a new diagnosis, or learning to negotiate healthy sexual relationships and strong boundaries. Our teams see people with a range of mental health concerns, ranging from stress, anxiety and depression, through to complex mental illnesses like schizophrenia and post-traumatic stress disorder that may require more collaboration with external specialists. According to the Black Dog Institute, nearly half of people in Australia will experience mental illness in some form during their lifetime, and around one in five experience mental illness in any given year. But for such a common experience, there's a lot of misconceptions about what mental illness is, who experiences it and why, and what people can do about it. Mental Health Month, which is held every October, aims to get people thinking about mental health and well-being and encourages everyone to seek appropriate help and care when needed. The theme of Mental Health Month this year is Share the Journey. We know that feeling connected and valued by others encourages feelings of security, purpose and happiness. Close connections and relationships are vital to maintaining good mental health and this is an area that's particularly relevant to the psychosocial support services offered by sexual health centres. The loneliness that often comes with busy modern lives can compound with the stigma experienced by gay and bisexual men, transgender people, sex workers, people who use drugs, and other communities we work with who are at higher risk of STIs and bloodborne viruses. People in those communities who are living with mental illness can face even greater social exclusion, and this can snowball until it affects all aspects of a person's well-being. So when we say we need to share the journey, we mean that we all need social and community connections to support us on our journey to better mental health. Currently, our counselling unit consists of sexual health counsellor Ron Tripp and social worker Lisa McCann, both of whom spoke to us about the work that they do here at Sydney Sexual Health Centre. Um, I've been working here at Sydney Sexual Health since 2009, uh, where, which time I came from ACON, where I was the senior counsellor for a year and a half. Prior to working as a senior counsellor, I was team leader at, within the HIV Men's Health Care Promotion Team, uh, and that was for about four and a half years. So the counselling team at Sydney Sexual Health Centre play a really vital role in supporting the psychosocial needs of our clients, but the work that you do is often under-recognised. So why is good mental health so important for people's sexual health and well-being? My gut reaction to that is that, look, good mental health basically will play, play out in 
within everyone's functional capacity. So in terms of how that affects one's sexual health, I tend to think that when when a person is feeling well-balanced, is feeling like they have a healthy sense of self or personal agency, that then they're well-resourced and they have the capacity then to make very, very difficult decisions at those times when they are, they're not they're probably not uh, given the most opportunity or that they might be confronted with a range of competing uh, stimuli or interests at that time and so where one is where one is well balanced in in terms of their mental health that tends to provide them with greater capacity for the more demanding times in life and more yeah and that includes sexual health so something we've been talking about during Mental Health Month is that some of the statistics for the communities we work with here are a bit grim. According to Beyond Blue, almost 50% of gay men living with HIV report feeling depressed, and that rises to 60% for transgender men. LGBTI populations are more likely to experience depression, anxiety, and psychological distress and at a higher risk of suicidal behaviours. So what's going on here? What's causing the disparity in mental health outcomes for these communities? Well, I think it would be helpful if we continue to do more work with the youth to look at why at a, at a more mature age, uh, more mature ages, we're still facing these complexities, I guess. Um, where during our developmental years we're not provided with the appropriate support, where we're not provided with the appropriate healthy modeling around very, very practical things, which relationships are a practical thing, in, in terms of how, how one develops a healthy uh, sexual self-esteem self and healthy sexual self-worth has everything to do with then how they are how they socialize both at the time before they come out and the time that they come out afterwards because then uh, they their their wellness or their well-being is not entirely their identity rather is not entirely wrapped around their sexuality it will have various components to to it which as any of us know um, take priority at different times of our lives so we also know that the people and communities that we work with consistently demonstrate strength and resilience in the face of adversity and discrimination, and we're seeing a lot of that at the moment. The LGBT community is a community of survivors. What would you say is the major strength that you see in your clients? That's a great question. Well, you've already taken my word of resilience. Um, hope. Hope, hope that it's going to be better. Hope that hoping that they're going to leave it differently. Hope that they won't have to endure the same challenges that they had previously. That they've developed the skills or they developed the resources, you know, the support around them, so that they don't have to go back to those places that that are just not necessary. That you know are too demanding or or undermining their sense of self at any time. Yeah, I'd say I would. I know it's trite, but I would say hope. So it's interesting that you mentioned supports because Mental Health Month this year focuses on the importance of connecting with other people to maintain good mental health. 
the theme is share the journey. Yeah. Is this something that the people you work with struggle with? Yeah. Uh, yes, definitely. Okay, so <clears throat> again, drawing from those two points I made before, where you're talking about unresolved internalized homophobia. Um, and the stigma associated with mental health disease or mental health illness, um, then you couple those two with the, the challenges of being culturally and linguistically diverse, you find that for a lot of people, there's not a real feeling of safety as to where they can engage or where they can drop their guard so that they can you know, uh, access that support or actually allow themselves to feel vulnerable so that they can actually share what their experiences are. And this is even more so the case where, where you have people who are living in a more ghettoized way within their cultural communities or ethnic communities, and that makes it even more confronting because of the fear of them being exposed or, or their privacy being breached and then the repercussions for that that would hold for them. So it, you know, there's not a lot of safe places for people to actually share it's particularly issues around mental health, just given what exists, uh, what, how, the, how, how much stigma is associated with it, just, just in general through the general community. So what would you say is the major challenge for the groups you work with in maintaining close connections and good relationships and the good mental health that comes from that? Look, I, I as a counselor, so much of so many of the answers that I'll give or so much of the advice that I might suggest is going to be based around values and going to be based around values assessment and, and revisiting that constantly, you know, that not being a one-time only process but something that is a necessary part of our development and personal development. So it's finding that balance and in, in going through that exercise of, of which can be quite confronting of, of uh, you know, self-reflection um, and, then, and then taking on the task of of um, value reassessment, if you will. It's about finding the balance around where you are based on the man or the woman that you are today in today's world in the context of the world we live in, and then how that is or isn't congruent with those same, those, those, those uh, support groups or networks that you were once aligned with, and then it's finding some compromise in that and deciding, do I still fit here? Do I need to find somewhere else to go? Have I grown beyond this? Does this still reflect who I am, you know, as as a gay man, as a gay married man, or, or whatever, you know, whatever the identity struggles might be? Yeah. So it's about you know, it's about finding the balance so that one can remain, can re, can retain rather some integrity around their personal identity, but also, you know, having to to live in this world and be realistic around our, you know, our need to socialize and where we fit within that socialization. So that's a reasonably positive note to end on, which is what I wanted. Mm -hmm. We've spoken about the challenges and we've spoken about the barriers to social connection and support. Can you share something positive to end on an upbeat note? Are things improving for our community's mental health? I'd like to think so. I think just in terms of, if just looking at this one thing, which is the, the level of support and awareness that has been raised, particularly for youth, makes me incredibly hopeful that we're having, diff you know, for one thing, we're having different conversations with our clients 
they're far more switched on, they're far more uh, well-versed in, in things that probably didn't cross my mind till my mid-30s, like polyamorous relationships, you know, and have a 16-year-old come in here talking to me about that kind of stuff is like, Wow, wow, they're, you know, I, I hate the term thinking outside the box and all that stuff, but this was really outside the box. I was quite, <laughs> I practically fell off my chair when he was suggesting that that was, uh, that was an option for him in terms of how he was going to explore his sexuality. Yeah, I'd say that, that what the youth, what youth are showing us today, the support that they're getting from their, from their you know, from their families, but from their chosen families as well, um, means that we're having different conversations up along up, up, the, up the line in general. We also spoke to Lisa McCann, who's our social worker at the Sydney Sexual Health Centre Counselling Unit. I'm a social worker and I've been here on and off for the last 20 years. I came here as a student in 1997 and prior to that been working in um, age care, teenage health, uh, community-based care, variety of different things. Um, I have postgraduate qualifications in sexual health counselling, um, but I settled here. Ah, I did work at ACOM for a few years as clinical services manager, and I worked at the Victims of Crime Service for a while, and I settled here because I like the community, the staff, the centre, the work. So we've just passed World Mental Health Day, which was on the 10th of October, and the theme of this year's Mental Health Day was Do You See What I See? It focused on reducing stigma about mental illness in Australia and encouraged everyone to view mental health in a more positive light. We know that stigma can be a massive barrier to people maintaining good sexual health. How does it affect the mental health of the people that you work with? I guess stigma is about often you have this private or public stigma and where you perceive a negative judgment or opinion um, of others and that can um, often result in a distancing or withdrawal from communities or from, um, from the possibility of being negatively judged and it can also be internalized. So you have this private stigma that um, will really influence the things that, the choices that you make and the decisions you make and the contacts that you make and the way you think about yourself. And there can be a real negative role with that. So I guess in terms of mental health, and we know that depression or schizophrenia and stress, even in a workplace, um, and anxiety can often invite a negative judgment or a stigma and if on top of that you have the uh, something else like HIV or herpes or um, something else going on in your life then that double stigma um, can really reduce someone's resilience and ability to cope and ability to connect with people bravely and in, in accordance to their values really so it can stop people making the choices they want to make and it can also inhibit people accessing their own internal resources and external resources to solve problems because once you start expecting negative judgment or opinion, it can really sort of breed this sense of doubt or reduce your confidence and self-esteem. And so people 
often stay very still if they can't predict um, what's going to happen next or if they fear what's going to happen next is going to bring more negative um, reaction to them, then often people will not do anything. And I guess that's um, going back to the, to the question, how might stigma impact on someone who's um, feeling pressured in terms of mental health? I think that's one of the biggest ways it might influence is by people not reaching out maybe or not acting on what they notice and what they feel that they need. So what stands out to you as the most common mental health challenge for the people that you work with at Sydney Sexual Health Centre? Um, that's really a difficult question. I, I see such a, a varied presentation in people. So often I can see a really high-functioning group of people who are generally very well, got good access to health promotion um, information, a high level of literacy, are working and, and conducting their lives on a day-to-day -day very well. But what I know is that in a secret part of life, um, that might be disconnected from all those other domains. There's a huge amount of stress. It might be worried about, people might be worried about maybe a stimulant use or secret drug and alcohol use. It might be sexual behaviours or concerns or anxiety around STIs, even if the risk is low. And often sex, even in a really sort of well-resourced, well-connected community, sex becomes a secret thing and I and so I suppose in one way one of the most prevalent themes it is this secret holding this burden and um, that becomes stressful over time of um, not talking to someone or not sharing with someone things that aren't going perfectly in life and might look out of sync with other parts of life um, and I suppose stigma influences that as well. So, yeah, maybe stress um, and often depression. So when people are um, maybe diagnosed with something like HIV, um, especially if someone's from overseas or from a different community or where there might be less visible external support, um, I sometimes see this incredible sense of worry about the future, um, a sense of grief and loss about what has changed, and over for people who've been living with HIV for a long time, sometimes just this deep sense of sadness. Um, and just to be really clear, that's not with everybody. So you see this huge amount of people who are positively connected to a community, have good internal coping resources, and HIV isn't something that defines them. It might be something else, like a relationship or something. But um, So it's not HIV alone that would necessarily cause that. But I do see for some people that depression it is a, certainly an issue um, when we're dealing with long-term chronic infections and um, there can be a stress around that that other people might not have. So that connects to something that we discussed with Ron earlier, that the people and communities that we work with here aren't just known for mental health challenges. The LGBT community is well known for its resilience and its strength and the advocacy that comes out of crisis. Can you give us an example of strength and resilience that you've observed in your clients? 
Oh, I didn't. I wouldn't even know where to start. Like this, so I've been working in this field for over twenty years, and you see it all around you all the time. You know, so it's every day, and I think that um, you know, often the resilience is around their willingness to reach out um, to community. And I think that is a really strong sign for someone wanting to get well or wanting to change things. And you might not know how to do it yourself. So that ability to, even when you're scared or even when you're worried about things like privacy and confidentiality or what people may think of you, you do it anyway. I think that's a really strong sign of resilience. Um, so reaching out maybe to a peer support group or a organization like Acon or to a counselor or to a friend um, yes I think I think that's a strong sign of resilience it's about connection I think another sign of resilience will be noticing and a willingness to um, notice even when choices might seem very small and very little that people are still aware bring a level of awareness to their world that they know there are some choices maybe still and that's what brings them into the room. So um, it might be very difficult for them to talk to a stranger or a counsellor but they do it anyway. You know, so that turning up again and again um, for medical appointments or counselling appointments um, and trying so hard often to make things better um, and it's quite a brave thing to do, to come into a room and talk to someone you don't know about your life and all those challenging things, and they do it anyway. I think that's a sign of real resilience. And I think the giving is a sign of resilience where people may then um, use their experiences or their challenging experiences to help others. So people go in to maybe be a leader in Genesis or a volunteer for Ankali or... Um, to give me information back. You know, I remember a guy sharing with me something about, it was a little animation he found on the internet about connection. Um, and it helped him a lot with his um, drug and alcohol issues. And he shared that around and put it on Facebook. And so that openness and willingness to share, willingness to reach out, willing to give back, um, to try things to you know, get their body moving and to try and do all these, act on these suggestions and advice and explore and experiment. I, I mean, it's just endless, I think, you know, and this amazing community um, that doesn't speak for everybody. And I think that that can be an area where it doesn't always work is there's, there's an assumption that it might reach everybody. I don't think it always does. Um, but you do have a bit of a beacon, to say the least, in this um, in Sydney and, and around us where um, gay and lesbian organisations are easy to see and easy to access. So it's interesting that you keep using the word share because the theme of Mental Health Month this year is share the journey. So it's all about um, building connections and relationships mm. to support good mental health. So how can healthcare professionals encourage good mental health in their patients and break down that stigma that can prevent people from seeking support? Well, I suppose the first thing that comes to mind is about sharing information and education and resources. 
Um, I think just small amounts of information sometimes about um, what's going on for them, what are their symptoms, how do they recognise their symptoms, shining a light on those, um, those uncomfortable thoughts and feelings that can be there that can either drag them away either into the future and thinking what if this happens, what if that happens or take them back to the past of um, sad or difficult experiences or memories they have and I think being having some capacity to bring an observer to that so they can notice and be aware of what that's doing for them, to them, taking them away from the right here and now, um, I think that's really important. So I think recognising symptoms of anxiety or mental health issues, um, recognising how those symptoms are impacting them on a day-to-day -day level, recognising how those things can take them away from their really positive resources in other domains of life where they might be able to feel confident in making decisions and taking action to change something. In some areas of life that may feel hard to do, so you can really bring a light to that as well. Um, giving information about what services are there, what things might um, support them in that change. Um, being there for them, so adding to their resilience of making a commitment in therapy to how we'd work together and explain a little bit about what you do and how you do. Uh, how you do that. Um, acting as a team, so you know that you're sharing your resources and using that person's insight themselves to think what's worked in the past. Um, so they can share that with you, what, what are their values, what are their goals, what are the um, positive resources they bring to their situations or have done in the past. I think that's something they can share with you that um, facilitates a therapeutic conversation. Um, yes, yeah, so I would say those are the things that come to mind. Sometimes people might share, therapists might share personal experiences, but um, that can be helpful at times and sometimes that might get in the way of them sharing their experiences with you, of course. So I think that's a very, um, that would be something you would do very, very carefully to protect the, the boundaries of therapy in a way. But certainly there's lots of um, anecdotes um, that you can bring or experiences you've had with other clients that you can bring without identifying them to share other people's experiences um, as well which can be helpful. The main message of Mental Health Month is to encourage everyone in our community to connect with others and just as importantly to recognise how important those connections are for our mental health. The networks and relationships that we build with each other as human beings are vital to our well-being. They help us with our journey to better mental health and they build resilience so that we're better able to cope with the challenges that life throws at us. As we've heard from Ron and Lisa, resilience is the defining feature of the communities with whom we work. And part of Ron and Lisa's work is supporting people to sustain strong relationships and community connections to build that resilience. As mental health professionals, they're supporting people on their journey to mental health and they're equipping people to have stronger and healthier relationships. You've been listening to the Mental Health Month episode of the Sydney Sexual Health Centre podcast. We've received great feedback about this series and we have some more episodes planned that we hope you'll find interesting. So please share the link and subscribe to hear more.